All right, well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I am Nate, lost in time and space, and today I'm joined with... I am the man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. And I am Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. And, well, here we are, guys, for our first Call of Cthulhu video review. Yes, very exciting. Very exciting. It we got a exciting. lot of great feedback regarding our uh, audio review for Gateways to Terror, so we, we figured we wanted to upgrade to video. And look at us, here we are. You can see all of our wonderful faces. Beautiful. Yes, my, my fat face. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, what, uh, what scenario are we taking a look at today? It's looking like Mr. Corbett. From Dimensions of Madness expansion for Seventh Edition Call of Cthulhu, which was yes, recent. This is the other Mister Corbett scenario, since there are, I believe, two that are named thusly. Yeah, Mister Corbett's a re he's a recurring character in the Call of Cthulhu universe. He's also the owner of the house from the haunting as well. Oh, he is. Oh, I thought he was unrelated to that one. I know that there was a Mr. Corbett in that. I believe Corbett house. I believe it's the same character, but I didn't know there was a relation to that. Interesting. I would assume anyway, but there may not be, and I'm sure someone will fact check it in the comments. <laughs> For sure they will. Um, uh, this adventure was written originally. The first one that uh, Man from Lang mentioned was written by Sean DeWolf, and. It's been updated for 7th edition by Lynn Hardy. So, the without going into spoilers, the scenario introduces the player characters to their well-to-do neighbor, Mr. Corbett, who has been receiving some strange packages at his house late at night. And the investigators, upon seeing one of these strange packages are inclined to investigate exactly what their neighbor is up to. Yeah, uh, the triggering event for the, for the scenario, which, by the way, um, briefly wanted to mention, the scenarios in the entire Mansions of Madness book are meant for intermediate players. Um, intermediate both in difficulty as well as complexity for handlers. So where Gateways to Terror was like introductory scenarios, Mansions of Madness is meant for those who are a little bit more experienced with the game. Uh, and then this adventure, I think I read that it's made for like smaller groups. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I would imagine you wouldn't want more than three or four players in a scenario like this. Yeah, so then the, the thing you mentioned, Mr. Corbett, uh, the, the adventure kicks off with him walking into his house his mansion and you are as investigators you live in a house or staying in a house in a, another mansion right nearby or across the street and you can witness him dropping something from one of the packages that he's receiving and it turns out to be a human body part and dun, that's, dun, dun. that's the, yeah <laughs> that's a triggering event and I actually have a problem with that triggering event right off the bat. <laughs> I do too, but um, before we get into our full review, let's uh, throw up our obligatory spoiler warning. For those yes. who are interested in experiencing this scenario for themselves, be sure to send your keeper this way. And for those who are looking for advice, well, here you are. Okay, so continue. <laughs> so spoilers, yeah, the... Uh, the investigators have to make a roll, like a spot hidden roll, in order to see the the hand drop out of the bag, or the it's like an infant's hand or something like that, right? Like mm. or, or a body part. Yep. Um. So I don't understand why game designers, scenario designers for RPGs, don't get it by now. Like if you're going to have something important that's going to be the triggering point for either continuing a scenario or an adventure, uh, or starting it off. Don't leave things to a dice roll. Don't leave things to chance. It's it just it just creates a problem for handlers and there's or uh, sorry for keepers, and there is no there's no benefit to making that roll other than to make the players for the moment feel cool by rolling die. Oh, I, I passed or whatever. But if everybody fails, 
then what? Then the story doesn't move forward. You have to scramble as a keeper to figure out a way now, a different way to introduce them into the fact that there's something wrong with Mr. Corbett, right? Well, what, what did you guys think about that that little part? Well, I think that criticism of yours can certainly be valid with certain playgroups. It depends on how you're running Mr. Corbett, right? If you're running this as like an introductory scenario for a campaign, then I would just leave the checkout entirely. But if you're running this as like an ongoing side campaign or a side mission to a campaign, you know, maybe have them make those checks over the course of like three or four sessions, right? And be like, why, why is the keeper having me roll these weird spot hidden or these weird listen checks? Like, wh what's up with that? And that like that might actually like spur the player to be like, hmm, there must be something going on with this if the keeper keeps bringing it up from session to session. So I think it depends on how you're running it, but I totally agree that if you just throw in that that spot hidden roll or that listen roll and then the player fails it and you kind of flounder around to get the investigators to start the mission, then yeah, this is a problem. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work if you're if you're using this as an introductory scenario for sure because you can't you can't have the adventure hinge on a random die roll. I mean, somebody has to notice this event in order for things to kick off. But I do agree with you, Nate, that if you were playing this as part of a as part of a larger campaign and you you had perhaps introduced the Mr. Corbett character at some point earlier um then calling for a check to to notice it i think is works works all works all right i guess for for that sort of thing as long as you have no um as long as you're you're not hinging on that being the thing that happens in tonight's session right if you're like i have nothing planned and well they're of course they're going to succeed on this spot hidden check tonight uh, in order to kick off this side scenario I have planned. Well, that that can and will fail sometimes, so. Yeah, and once the roll is made, uh, then there are certain things that can happen. Like, the investigators can take things into their own hands, or it um, it says in the book some of them might come up with the idea of calling the police, which is a totally valid and viable option for investigators that aren't you know uh good at defending themselves and they're they're more basically want to be hands off with these kinds of things so then uh, what happens if they call the police nate do you remember uh basically the police show up and they either hang out with mr corbett and they leave with a bunch of his vegetables from his garden and nothing happens or the police can be brutally murdered which leads the players to take a sanity check Oh, yeah. That's great. So it depends on how the keeper wants things to go down. I personally, depending on when the players do it, I would more than likely have the, the police either be like, what, Mr. Corbett, that guy? He's the nicest guy in town. You must be crazy. And either have the police show up and then do the former where they they leave with a bunch of vegetables and have a good time and leave with a pleasant exchange for Mr. Corbett, or I would kind of throw that back in the player's face and I would make the police wary of the investigators. Because how dare they question the integrity of such an outstanding citizen like Mr. Corbett? I love that aspect of it. Like, Mr. Corbett is... He's just so well-liked in the neighborhood and by the community that it makes it even more tricky and difficult for the investigators to really dive deep into him because everyone seems so um unwilling to believe that mr corbett is up to something that's no good and i think what you guys both mentioned earlier where if you're running this as a long uh overarching story of a campaign then you can really develop that even with your own investigators just make mr corbett be really friendly and nice play that up for several sessions and that way, even the investigators themselves probably would get to a point where they're not going to believe that he's up to something himself. Mm. And I think that's yeah, where the scenario the, works the best. Yeah, this is the type of scenario I like when I'm 
when I'm running games, whether it's Call of Cthulhu or Dungeons and Dragons, where you can introduce a character um, early if you're running a campaign and have that character linger in the background for basically as long as you feel is necessary before um, you uh, decide to trigger this event. And and I know in, in some of the stuff I've run, you know, these characters just, they never, I never trigger them. But it's nice to know I have them in the background in case, uh, you know, something stalls out or uh, the campaign doesn't go in a direction that you expect. It's nice to have a character like this who you can say, you know, I have this scenario ready. I can trigger Mr. Corbett and and send the investigators on this on this uh, on this investigation. But if the say the campaign goes in a direction that you weren't expecting, and the players are busy with other stuff, then you can just let Mr. Corbett lie fallow until the time comes. There's no. There's no urgency to it. And the other thing I do like about the start of this scenario is that so often I find in Call of Cthulhu scenarios, the investigators are involved by other people. Uh, I was reading one recently where it's like the investigator, it always seems like the investigators are contacted by somebody else who has already done the triggering event. Mm -hmm. And I find that really... um, I don't like that as a keeper where somebody else is doing the thing. And so I appreciate this scenario where no, the investigators are the ones who trigger it. It's not. um, I think if this was written slightly differently, you could have say the police trigger it, right. Or another neighbor trigger it or something like that, where another neighbor sees something suspicious and contacts the investigators. Um, But I like that it's the investigators who were, involved from the very start. And I sort of see the police in this being not so much something that you would necessarily expect the investigators to um, sort of hand off this investigation to the police. It's I see it as more the author of this scenario simply covering all the bases and saying, well, in case the investigators contact the police here's you here's how you can handle that situation and as a keeper i think that that sort of information is really useful i agree there's a lot of those types of notes in this scenario too and that was one of the pros that i had for mr corbett um one thing that you had touched on man from lang that i liked about this scenario quite a bit is its modularity is the fact that you can make Mr. Corbett any relevant NPC to the investigators. You could have them set in any location, which is really nice. It doesn't have to be specifically Boston. Um, so there's a lot of great, uh, like, there's a really great basis for a scenario here that you can really tailor to how you want to run it, which is great. Yeah, yeah, those are good points. All right, so then the investigators uh, discover the package. Then what happens? So there's a few things that they can they can do from there. If they begin to investigate where the body parts come from, that could potentially lead them to the hospital, or it could lead them to the police, or it could lead them it could lead them in a couple of different avenues where they could start uh, speaking with some of the neighbors that the scenario provides as. Um, potential interview subjects for the investigators. Uh, but ultimately, they they will probably trail Mr. Corbett at some point, and by trailing Mr. Corbett, they will eventually see him going to the dump. Yeah, that's the first, the first of the fun interactions, because <laughs> he plays so dumb. <laughs> Oh no, these are branches from fungi that I'm collecting. <laughs> and he's a oh. Mr. Corbett is a as a hobby, he is a gardener and everyone in town knows that he's a gardener and he likes to collect strange exotic species of plants. So this alibi tends to work on most people. Yep. But yeah, there's a little and, bit uh, of interesting backstory with Corbett too that I really liked. Um the scenario goes into some detail about how Corbett in his younger years took a trip. Was it to Nepal or India? 
yeah, one, one, one of those one two. Of two. And he, and he eventually comes into contact with uh, a group that worships Yogg-Sothoth. And he, I, I'm not exactly sure on the details. I, it's been like a um, week it, since it I was read actually it. his his father. So his father got involved with this cult of Yogg-Sothoth. Um, they were taking hallucinogenic drugs, and he would basically do their cult rituals and stuff while taking these um, hallucinogenics. And uh, during one of these trips, he uh, ended up seeing an avatar of Yogg-Sothoth, and the avatar told him to bring his son. So he ended up calling his son out of medical school, the son being Mr. Corbett from the, from the scenario. So Mr. Corbett goes, leaves medical school and go, takes a trip to go see his father, where Yogg-Sothoth... Uh, then kills the father in front of him and then possesses his mind and realizes that he's really bright and he could possibly use him and then uh, just lets him go back home. And then that's that's kind of how he got involved with this whole thing, with this whole cult thing. Um, and once he got back home, he married and had twin sons, but the wife and one of the sons died within a few months after birth. And then the other son was an abomination. Basically, it was just completely deformed. And that's where Mr. Corbett has started experimenting on it and adding parts to it. And basically, he's trying to add more arms to it and more body parts so it can look like this avatar of Yogg-Sothoth, which is just completely sick and twisted, which I love it. Yeah, it's got this like kind of creepy Victor Frankenstein vibe to it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. awesome. You could certainly play up those aspects too if you really wanted to, which is cool. But, um, but getting back to the actual story of the campaign with the or the scenario with the investigators. So as I was saying, they'll eventually tail Mister Corbett, or they'll find a way to the hospital, and this ultimately connects them to the hospital orderly Victor, who is the one that's obtaining these parts extra legally for Mister Corbett, and he meets him at the local town dump uh, every it's like once a week at night i believe yeah. I, the the scenario gives the the specific details but in any case um the investigators will likely see this transaction happen and i would suggest to keepers that they make sure they do to really solidify that corbett is really up to something no good yeah and um and this guy <laughs> This Victor T Tomaszowski, I believe the that's the name. Yeah, it's or wait, Randolph Tomaszowski, not Victor. Uh, I'm I'm thinking about the Victor the Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Randolph Tomaszowski is uh, the guy who works at the hospital who's been giving body parts to Mister Corbett, and he's an interesting little side story. <laughs> he he certainly is. Like a, a, He's a devil worshiper, and he thinks that Mr. Corbett is also a devil worshiper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he and, like um, he gives Mr. Corbett the body parts out of like some sick fascination with what Mr. Corbett's doing. Yeah, hmm. and then then he ends up getting caught with uh, like gets in trouble with the police because he's been killing like small animals and eating them <laughs> so so the police uh end up arresting him or something like that mm -hmm. like it, it's such a funny little side story that can really throw off the investigators uh because they they if they interrogate this guy or find out a way to get information out of him he's gonna tell them that mr corbett is a devil worshiper right or, or that he suspects that and they're gonna think that that's the angle they're gonna think that this is the whole thing behind mr corbett right it's possible it's certainly certainly possible that they'll think that um i would assume that that's likely the player's first assumption but in any case they'll see this transaction go down and eventually they'll make their way to corbett's house to find some sort of piece of incriminating evidence yeah see i think this is the part where i started to have some issues with how the scenario was described simply because i think uh, i think this is where the intermediate um tag comes in because i think if you were to play this with a 
a, a new group who weren't really accustomed to how Call of Cthulhu works. I think they would struggle to figure out what the next step is or what their option, what options were available to them. And I could see other groups simply taking the most direct approach possible, that being going into Corbett's house right away without um, basically ignoring um, most of the uh, most of the other things they could do and just taking as direct approach as possible. And the the scenario does address that. Um, so I, I think it really depends. I think this this scenario, you really have to sort of read your group because I could see uh, some groups being very uh, proactive and being like, okay, yeah, we we've we've seen this triggering event, and so we're going to start to dig into this guy's past and and follow him around. And, and I could see other groups just saying, we're going into his house. I know my group would do that. Mm -hmm. they, they would probably confront him right on the doorstep and attack him. <laughs> so yeah, I find it's like a tough. It's a it's a difficult uh, line to walk between sort of expecting them to do A when option B is, um, especially if you have played other role playing games where that favor confrontation far greater than investigation, where that might be their first inclination yep yeah i agree and it depends on the investigator's motives too right like if they're trying to bring corbett to justice and you know like build a case for him to get arrested or something like that then maybe the investigators would be more inclined to do the investigative work but i by and large i think i agree with that criticism you guys because i that was something i had in my notes too was that not only do the players sort of they don't really have any motivation other than the motivation they give to themselves to do any of this investigative work but you know the just going to his house right across the street is just the path of least resistance so even if they want to do the investigative work they might just go over there as starting their investigative work which kind of jump points the scenario to act three essentially yeah, I think it like if you have a I think it's how you introduce this scenario can really um uh determine how it plays out. If you're if you introduce it say to a group that is involved in in another campaign, I could certainly see them or in a longer campaign I could certainly see them going, "Okay, we have this thing, there's something suspicious going on, but we have bigger fish to fry." So we will hand this off to try to hand this off to the police. And um, of course, the, the scenario makes it pretty clear that the police um, aren't going to get involved, which um, makes a lot of sense since this is a, you know, you have, you're running this for the players to actually do the hard work, not the police. But then if you, if you introduce this to another group that was sort of had nothing else to do, they might, or um, aren't really accustomed to the sort of the tropes of Call of Cthulhu and, and investigate first and plunge into the basement second, um, you could very easily see them just be like, well, we're, we're going to go across the street and invade this guy's house. And um, which would be a shame because there is a lot of, of really good um, like you said, there's a lot of really interesting information between um, Mr. Corbett and the, and the hospital orderly and and um, information they can learn by tailing him and stuff like that. But I could easily see all that just being skipped as well. So what happens, Face, when they eventually arrive at Mr. Corbett's house and they begin investigating? Oh my god, the stuff they find inside. <laughs> it really <laughs> depends where they go first. I'm assuming they're probably going to go around the back first, is That's what right. I would, you know, to try and find a way in. Which, if they do go around the back, the first place that they're going to run into would be the vegetable garden. And the vegetable garden is um, where he buries the uh, parts that he has rejected. And <laughs> as well as some other things, some failed experiments and stuff. So... 
if they happen to dig, they can find a bunch of just crazy stuff buried under there. Um, but there's also some crazy plants that are just like awesome. I, this is one part I really, really enjoyed about the scenario is the, the psychedelic plant is great because it can give them like some kind of an acid trip, like a bout of insanity, which is really fun. And I think if you, if you have the right play group, it can be a really fun scene for them to, to have to like, just be uh, or have their investigator run through this uh, psychedelic trip and then there's this other plant the purple flower which is just ridiculous like it it shoots this stuff at them that starts to decompose their skin while they're still alive mm-hmm. and then there's accompanying artwork in case you don't you can't envision the live decomposition so there's accompanying artwork in the book which is horrific and awesome of this plant shooting the stuff at this guy's face it's great yeah i think this is one of my favorite parts of the scenario it's just so cool it's it's like a fairly common trope in horror films right they walk through the greenhouse and a plant attacks them out of nowhere but it works so well in this scenario that i'm willing to excuse its clicheness it totally does and it's even though it's a cliche, it feels unexpected because you, you're like, even if you find the body parts on the ground, like you, you're not expecting these things to happen. You're expecting something else. You know, you're expecting him to be murdering people for whatever else for himself. Maybe he's eating them himself, or maybe he's got something hidden in the basement. But the last thing you're expecting is the garden (laughs) to have these crazy plants. And I believe there's also a notebook inside the garden as well, right? That details some of the some of the plants as well as um, some of the other things that Corbett has been digging into, which uh, allows the players to learn some of the Cthulhu mythos. But it also obviously comes at the price of sanity. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and sorry, the plants are in the greenhouse, which is right next to the garden, but. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the deadly plants are actually in the greenhouse. The garden is where he buries the parts. Um, is is that notebook? Is that the the long notes at the end of the scenario? The big like four or five page handout. So that's his journal, and that journal is located in his bedroom, which I believe is in the second floor of the house. Okay. Well, then when we get to that, I'll talk about that. <laughs> I think you know what I'm going to say about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so if they go around the back, they're, they'll encounter these crazy things. And I really hope most groups do end up doing that, going around the back, so they can experience this. Because I, I know, like Man from Lang said, some groups, if they see him bringing the body parts into the house, they're probably just going to go straight in and break through a window or something, which would be unfortunate if they missed an entire section of the house with the body parts and the plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there there is a way for keepers to kind of railroad their players into it, and I think they you probably should, just because it's so cool. That I think, like, this is one of the better aspects of the scenario, and I think it behooves you as the keeper to make sure your players experience it in some way. Yep, for sure. (laughs) So whether whether Um, you have Corbett lock the door shortly after he arrives and not let them in because he's busy with something, or if you, um, I don't know, I would try to (laughs) prevent that in any case. Like maybe maybe um, when the players go to break a window or something. They the smat like the the sound of the smashing window like triggers the the next door neighbor to wake up and ask what's going on. Uh yeah, that that'd be good. So yeah, th- there are logical ways that you could get your players to go back there and experience the horrors that are behind Mister Corbett's garden. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then, uh, so then if they, if they make it inside, the first floor is pretty uneventful. Um, they do find some things, though, in one room in the first floor of the house, of the mansion. And um, one of the things that they find I thought was really cool was a note from Mr. Corbett, where he is, like, it's a note to himself, or like, you know, just a little note. He, he jotted down that says, I'm being followed. Um... Which is really cool because I think that it that alone, just the, the player seeing that, can really give them a sense of, oh, does he know we're going to be coming in here? Like, you know, it can instill paranoia or unnecessary paranoia 
in the investigators. I really like when when they add things like this into the into scenarios. Yeah, it also makes the scenario feel more alive. Like it makes Corbett feel much more like a real person than just a thing for the players to interact with. Yeah, yeah. And then um then they find notes on the botanical experiments, which is, you know, gonna give like like you said, just more of a of a feeling of it actually being making sense uh, that he has these plants in the garden and things like that because he's experimenting with botanicals as well and that's something that he actually can can use as a tactic he does carry um some of that hallucinogenic with him so he he can actually use that if he's attacked by the investigators which is which is also really cool um so then they they finish the first the ground floor there's not much in there um there can be this creature that's a failed experiment but it like runs around and he lets it out sometimes and it's like a spider woman thing mm-hmm. it's his former wife i believe yeah that's so turned into what, an amalgamation gives me very uh c- gives me color out of space vibes the richard stanley film very color out of space yes for sure <laughs> it's that scene with Nicolas um, cage and the shotgun at the end of that movie yeah <laughs> 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 um, did uh man from Ling? did you like the spider woman um uh, aspect uh yeah i thought it was all right um the uh i mean the that's the whole scenario is sort of pointing eventually to the basement um so that's where i would expect the these sorts of things to i mean it's a real house of horrors once you get in there so so having uh, something like that is great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I thought it was really cool. I, just like you, Nate, I, the first thing that I thought was Colorado space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, if the investigators continue up into the second floor of the house, they will eventually find Corbett's journal, which, while filled with mostly mundane information, there is a few important details that the investigators can glean from this journal. And Vase, I know you hate when people are read to, so I'm curious to what you think about this handout. Um, I think it's too long, and I get what they're going for. And just like, uh, you know, I hate really long handouts because they slow down gameplay. But the minute you hand out a five-page document to your players, they're all going to stop and read it. And one's going to read it, and then the next person's going to be like, oh, let me read it. And then as you're trying to continue the story moving along that person is not going to be paying attention. And then when they hand that handout to another player, that person is not going to be paying attention. Like, it's going to be a 30-minute a thing of all your players, one at a time, not paying attention to certain sections of the game. I do not like that. I think these kinds of things should be summarized. I think you should say, as a handler or as a keeper, God, I keep saying handler, um, as a keeper, you found a journal and then just bullet point the important things that they find in the journal and just tell them you read through it at several pages, but this is what you found out that's pertinent. Like giving such a exposition, a five page long exposition of story and things that are not necessarily important. It just slows down the game. I, I don't, I hate these handout things and I appreciate the story or the scenario, not having flavor text to read to your players. I like that they respect the intermediate level of, of keepers here in this one by not giving you flavor text. Mm-hmm. Whereas Gateway Satara did have a bunch of flavor text, which I also don't care for. Um, I'm glad they didn't do that here. And they, they expect the keeper to be experienced enough to describe each room to the players. But the handout thing, I think, was a mistake. But that's just my yeah, that's I think, just I think my the opinion. only way that you can make this work is if as if this is like the the cliffhanger of a scenario where the discovery of the journal is the last thing that happens at the to close off the night and then the players have a chance to read the journal on their own time between now and the next session but you know the way the the way the scenario is structured it could very well be you know scenarios the scenario might end might not last more than one session so it's a. Uh, it's tough to. Uh, I agree with you, Vase. That uh, I think when I saw that, I'm like, man, this is. 
is a lot of information to for for players to digest and uh depending how many players you've got it's going to take a huge chunk of time to to deal with yeah i agree with you guys i'm not a big fan of the exposition dump in a lot of these scenarios it was a criticism we had of lover in the ice uh, a delta green operation yep. that we reviewed a couple months ago and yeah i feel the same way here it's just it's too much and i would agree i would just bullet point the relevant information to my players and move on because there's so much there's so much perfunctory information that they can find in the journal that they might just get hung up on that doesn't serve any ultimate purpose other than fleshing out corbett's character which is cool but not it doesn't move the scenario along and like man from lang said like it would be a great tool for the end of a session or like a cliffhanger because then it's it's already over like you're not interrupting the flow of the scenario but as it's written you know first of all role playing wise it doesn't make sense you're in this house of horrors by the time you found the journal you've experienced possibly the spider woman possibly the plants possibly bodies buried and possibly body parts in a fridge so at this point, who's going to stop and read through five pages of a journal? Like if you were in that situation, right? Even mm -hmm. if you're an experienced investigator, like, no, that's you're pro probably in danger. The last thing you want to do is sit down and read. Right. So why even introduce that at that moment and out of game, it slows down game, not just with the players reading and not paying attention, but there's tension that's being built up until this point because you're, you're being like, you know, drizzled little bits and pieces of just how horrific this mansion is. And then this kind of makes you take a step back and it releases all of that tension, all of it. Mm -hmm. I think if you wanted to have the players like find the journal, I think the best way to do it is kind of something like what man from Lang suggested. And I would, I would almost have them fight the, the child abomination thing, which is the final portion of the scenario is eventually the, the investigators make their way to the basement and they have a confrontation with Corbett's child abomination thing of Yogg-Sothoth. What I would do is I would have them have this encounter. And depending on how things go, I would either have them find the journal in the basement after the encounter, or I would perhaps have um, maybe a member of the police show up in the aftermath and say, hey, we found this journal. Are you guys interested in it? Or something like that. So yeah, that I way... I think as a, as a keeper, you need to be... Like, if if you're concerned about the length of the journal and you're uh, you're not prepared to sit down and, and go through it and, and prepare bullet points to make it easier, I think you've, your other option is to simply move the journal somewhere else. Like you say, move it to the basement. Maybe if the investigators are decide to to go over uh, Mr. Corbett's car or something like that, you know, or they're in the greenhouse, you know, you know, just move the journal somewhere that works as far as timing goes, so it doesn't become a uh, an issue in that way, or just avoid it altogether. So you have you have a decent uh, range of options as far as handling that long handout goes but i mean as far as the story goes that's really it and then depending on what happens at the end with the child abomination can affect the outcome of the scenario and one thing that i liked about this scenario is that not only did it neatly close up any uh any loose ends that may have occurred throughout the scenario it also presented ways to further expand on the scenario too, which I thought was a really nice tool for keepers if they wanted yeah, to expand upon it. Great touch. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I do like a lot of the things in this, in this book are uh, really well done in terms of organization and helping you develop the stories that are inside of it. So that's, that's something I gateways to terror. I wish would have done a little bit better. Um, and this one, I think, at least with this particular scenario, definitely delivers in that, um, giving you a lot of different options to to make this work further into a, into a longer storyline. So, um, so what are your guys' overall thoughts on Mr. Corbett? Man from like, 
I uh, I quite enjoyed uh, reading it uh, as a keeper, and uh, I think it has a, a lot of uh, interesting things um, that I could use. Uh, I like I like sort of the way you can introduce it and sort of just let it simmer until you're ready to um, introduce it to your players. I like that there's a lot of different options. Uh, that the players can pursue. They can, uh, if they prefer a more investigative approach, they can go that way, which I think provides the bulk of the story is, is there. Um, but if they prefer a more direct approach, then, I mean, the horror is probably going to hit them um, immediately. Uh, the, uh, and I like how the, uh, the scenario provides a lot of background that the players may not necessarily find out or even be dimly aware of by the, by the time it's done, but it provides the keeper with some, with that information that, that they can, uh, uh, either sprinkle throughout the scenario itself, or they could, uh, or they could use as they are about to introduce the scenario, say, um, taking snippets of uh, Mr. Corbett's background, his his time in in the Indian subcontinent and whatnot, and sort of introducing those tangents. And, you know, at the time, it doesn't mean anything to the players. But as the story unfolds, those those little snippets that you've thrown at them, uh, and, and this is something I love doing as a as a DM or a keeper is throwing a lot of of this sort of information at players and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense until they dig a little bit deeper and then they start to to connect the dots and say oh okay i see you know uh this and that it, it doesn't really affect the gameplay as much but it's it's a nice touch as far as um uh the lore goes uh a couple things i didn't like about the scenario one was i while I, I liked the greenhouse, the the sort of insta death of potentially insta death of one of the investigators kind of bothered me, uh, largely because I sort of see the the greenhouse as not being the main event, and uh, I think it would be kind of awkward to have a player uh, run into that and then you're taking them out of the scenario pretty early, potentially, depending on, on their approach. Uh, but it is Call of Cthulhu, and people expect investigators to die, you know, left, right, and center. I've sort of moved away from that sort of attitude as I've become more, uh, as, I, as I've been a DM and keeper, but um, to each his own. And the other thing, I, the other thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way was, uh, while there is a lot of great information um, about Mr. Corbett and the hospital intern and their relationship, a lot of that information is locked behind really difficult um, skill tests. Uh, there are several extreme skill tests that are called for to find this information. And I think that's a, that's a real shame because... Um, some of the skills are already like I think one of them calls for an accounting role, um, which, uh, depending on the players, it's like it's a skill that I don't think a lot of players gravitate toward. And then you're making them make a pass an extreme skill test to try to get that information. And I I sort of feel like that's the the really good stuff of the of this uh, scenario is that that relationship between Corbett and the, the intern and sort of how they've been, how they've been uh, collecting these body parts and making the, the handovers and whatnot. And to lock all that behind roles that players will probably never be able to make, I think is a bit of a shame. Yeah, that was a criticism I had too, was that so many of the cool details of this scenario are locked behind really difficult skill checks. And while a lot of the time I would say that that's okay, in this scenario, it's so much of the pertinent and interesting backstory of those 
main characters that it feels it just feels like a shame that more than likely players will either not have the skills to make those roles or they'll fail them because they're extremely difficult so yeah, i mean it's 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 one of those things that i think you know they when you when you talk about being a a keeper and and creating all of this backstory you know a lot of the time that's what keepers enjoy doing is creating the backstory and whatnot and and while you don't want to to railroad your players and force them to play the game that you want them to play putting all of that interesting stuff that you've created behind a behind a wall that that the investigators probably won't be able to get through seems to me that you're just sort of shooting yourself in the foot like you've you've gone to the trouble of of making you know creating this really interesting relationship where you know you've got Mr. Corbett who is obviously a, a follower of the mythos and then you've got this run of the mill devil worshipper and there's some interesting interplay there and just to say that the investigators will probably never know any of that is is to me seems like uh you've taken you're you're sort of I guess you're you're I feel like you're punishing the players for taking the investigation route whereas you know if you're going to expect them to say okay we're going to tail Mr. Corbett we're going to dig into the hospital records we're going to interview neighbors we're going to interview uh hospital employees and so they're going through all this legwork to to really play the investigation game and then you're just sort of throwing up a wall and saying doesn't matter you know what you do here you're not going to find the information you know anything interesting uh, all the interesting stuff is really locked away whereas and to me it's sort of just like well well then why didn't we why are we bothering with this why don't we just go to the house right away because we'll never pass the skill tests to find out the information yeah i i totally agree with you there and I generally like the gumshoe and delta green approach where if an investigator or an agent or uh, a player has the the requisite skill they're just able to obtain that information and I think with a lot of the information that's presented in this scenario I would probably do the same style of investigative work and leave the leave the skill checks for for more uh, important things i guess well maybe not important but more impactful things on success and failure yeah, yeah. okay That's i think fair. there's two two levels of information like you've got the you have mr corbett's deep backstory which yeah i i could see calling for some extreme checks in or hard checks in those sorts of situations it's like you don't really expect investigators from boston to have a have a great unless it's their specialty to have a great deal of information about india say right so sure i can see um making that information harder to to come by but sort of the basic information about the relationship between your two npcs locking that behind a barrier seems like a, i would probably just rem like if the if they if the investigate if the players i should say think of checking the hospital records then that's good play and should be rewarded yeah. i totally it shouldn't agree be like oh you you came up with this very clever idea but you don't happen to have the accounting skill so or you don't happen to have a very high accounting skill, so there's no chance that you're going to discover this, even though you came up with a very good idea um, to, to find this information. One approach that I take with skill checks like that is I, I've gravitated towards the, the yes but strategy, where I allow players, even if they fail, to discover the information, but... I always give it to them at some sort of cost where it's, yes, you find out what you were looking for, but something happens or, but you trip and fall something along those lines, I think makes those types of roles more interesting while still being yeah. able to give your players the information you want to give them. 
Mm -hmm. And I know um, the, the, you know, Call of Cthulhu has the pushed roll mechanic, which, which is sort of what you're talking about there, where, you know, they get a second crack at it at with some sort of consequences attached, but uh, personally, and I the think luck, if, if luck mechanic, yeah. But personally, if I was, if I was to say investigate the hospital records and I didn't get anything on it, I would be probably just be like, okay, I'm going to move on. Mm -hmm. And, and that's totally that fair. Yeah. And all of that stuff would just remain hidden, which I mean, the, the, the person who created the scenario put all that information in there and, you know, <laughs> I feel like you want to share it with the players. That's, that's the good stuff. Yeah. That's the more, that's what makes the scenario interesting is learning exactly what happened behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But, but other overall, than that, I mean, I think I could definitely run. I mean, it's. I think the scenario has enough information there that you could you could definitely um, run it as part of a. I think it would probably work better as part of a, a longer campaign, like as part of a, a side scenario to a campaign where you can take the time to establish uh, the relationships uh, between Mister Corbett and the players, because that's really. I think the crux of it is is the players finding out that this person that they um, is something other than what they thought. I think that's the the real the meat of it. And so, if you're able to establish that, uh, then the players the 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 approach the players will take will be quite a bit different as compared if you just say you have a neighbor this guy that you sort of know and you see this thing happen. I think you're the way you handle that would be very different in a sort of a, a one shot scenario where it's like, well, we don't really have a relationship with this guy. So. I totally agree with you, man, from laying, I would also argue that this scenario was much better interjected as a side scenario into a campaign. Because like you said, the relationship of Mr. Corbett and the investigators is really what this whole scenario hinges on. And if you're not able to really develop that relationship with your players, then a lot of the motivation becomes contrived and can be difficult to make the players really feel motivated to do this investigation. Yeah. Or, or at least not metagame and be like, okay. <laughs> right, right. He's doing something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Nate, what's your what are your pros and cons? You know, I think oh, overall, uh, this scenario provides a lot of modularity, which is great. You can again, you can put Mister Corbett anywhere in any location at any time, and you can run this scenario without having to really change a lot, which is awesome. I like the the themes of horror that are in play in this scenario, like it, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, there's definitely some elements of Frankenstein. There's the elements of the fly, the color out of space. There's a lot of really neat elements that you could expand upon if you chose to as a keeper. And then the last thing that I put on my pro list was that I found that this scenario was actually fairly easy to run if you're an experienced keeper, as there isn't a lot of moving pieces. While it's not as easy as something like the Necropolis or the Dead Border, which we reviewed in our last episode, this still doesn't have too many moving pieces so you really only need to prepare i would say like mr corbett the hospital orderly and then maybe like one or two of the other npcs just in case you feel like your players are going to ask some neighbors around town but you know i think from part from that this is a pretty easy scenario to run any other cons than the ones that we've mentioned already no, but the the only real con that I had, and we had shared it in the beginning of this review, is that I do feel like it can be difficult to get your players motivated to do the investigative work. Um, you know, it was one of the bigger points that we had made was that it you might have problems getting your investigators to not just directly go to Corbett's house and see what's going on there, so... I would definitely feel your group out for this one. If they're the type that are gung-ho and are just going to go into Corbett's house, then maybe this scenario isn't for your group. But 
if your group is the type that's going to go into the city proper and see exactly what Corbett does and tail him and do all that investigative work, this is really cool, and I would really recommend it for groups like that. Yeah, yeah I think, as far I think as, you um, need to prepare for that. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. How about Without you, Vase? What do you, what do you think? Um, well, uh, other than the stuff that we've already talked about, um, a couple little extra things that I really liked. Uh, the rewards are appropriate for each accomplishment. Again, you know, not to constantly compare this to Gateways of Terror, but it's fresh in my mind since we recently reviewed it, and this is a natural follow-up to Gateways of Terror. This is rewards done right at the end of a scenario, where based on each accomplishment, they get rewarded something. They don't just get rewarded just for surviving, right? Um and I also like, uh, at the beginning of the scenario, they talk about what skills are going to be helpful for investigators in the scenario. So if, an, if you have a fairly newer player, uh, along with your more experienced group that's joining in, you can sit down with them and very quickly see which, uh, or, or recommend which skills that they may want to take for this, for this particular scenario. So there's a lot of DM tools to help you run this a little bit better. Um, of course, the diagrams and the maps are well done. They're not... Um, you know, they, unlike some of the other ones from that we've seen before, um, you know, they don't give away anything in regards to the story. So you could show these maps to your players to make help them visualize where they're where they're moving to within the house. And they actually not provide they provide player versions in the back of the book too, um, which the, is great. Yeah, the map of Corbett's house actually has a, a spot on the sheet for players to make notes. So. It also, I think that that especially is a really good tool for keepers because it reinforces the idea like, hey, you're playing an investigative game. You should be making <laughs> notes. Yeah, yeah. And I know you specifically, Nate, had a, took issue with some of the maps in uh, Gateways to Terror because there weren't player versions in some of the scenarios. So um, it's good that they included that here. And uh, the artwork was really good. So I, I liked some of the artwork. It invoked a lot of the feeling that uh, I was envisioning when reading through this scenario. So I really like that uh, that as well, in addition to all the positives that we mentioned already. And of course, um, I do want to reiterate this story for Mr. Corbett. The backstory is really interesting, along with some of the NPCs. They're all really interesting. And the character of Mr. Corbett is really well done. And even though it's it can be difficult if run as written, to dig into some of these stories, I'm glad that they put them in there and they, they flushed it out the way that they did. Now, as far as the the few other things that are that I didn't like that we haven't talked about yet, uh, the only one that I wanted to add is um, Mr. Corbett is a he can cast spells. He has rituals that he learned when he was abroad, and he if he is confronted by some of the characters he tries not to get involved in combat he tries to use the poison the hallucinogenic on them um and disable them as opposed to killing them but uh that said it does give him the option to summon yog sathoth <laughs> which i thought was so out of left field and i really really did not like that at all they even stat out um, the spell that he has, like they have actually write it out within the the scenario, and then and then they f proceed to say, we don't recommend you do this because bringing in Yogg-Sothoth into the city is it's going to have huge ramifications. So it's like, if you think that, then why did you even give it to him? Like the guy went to India, he learned some rituals, and he was possessed by Yogg-Sothoth to make this child. So if he just has the ability to summon Yogg-Sothoth. Why make this child? Why not just bring Yogg-Sothoth onto the world, right? It it feels, and it, and if he uses it in combat, which some keepers probably will do, <laughs> you know, uh, then then it feels way too D and D to me for him to be able to summon this this well, ancient being. Like it, it it seems too easy for him to just be able to summon Yogg-Sothoth. Well, the spell takes like several hours, I believe, to cast. Like, there's no way minutes. he's. Yeah, there's no way he's reasonably doing something like that in combat, but... Not in combat, but, like, if if he knows they're following him, he can set up the ritual while they're trying to get into his house mm -hmm. and realistically be able to complete the ritual, right? And then summon Yogg-Sothoth. Like, it just seems like it shouldn't be that simple. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with your criticism there. I, that's honestly something I find to be an issue with a lot of Call of Cthulhu scenarios. They tend to do that, and I don't really care for it personally. But I'm glad that you highlighted it here, too. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's sort of, they they go to such great lengths as to establishing Mr. Corbett as a as the type of folksy um, neighbor next door that everybody loves, who has obviously been quite careful about concealing his his work, to, and then to to suddenly be like, well, it, it sort of pushes him into like really crazy man territory where he's like willing to just throw everything away which seems kind of contradictory to what you know how i would probably uh play him i i sort of feel like they they include all this these sorts of things in scenarios all the time just because they feel like they need some stats you know a scenario isn't complete unless you have some sort of new spell or a new monster to mm -hmm. to stat out at the end and but I think if you're an experience keeper, it's like, well, the repercussions of I don't know what the P, what you know investigators would have to do to um, push Mr. Corbett to the extent that he would um, pull the trigger on something like that. But I feel like he would, you know, reading the NPC, it feels to me like he's he's confident enough in his status in society that he would i think be content to let the police and and you know the community come down on the investigators rather than you know an ancient a great old one i totally agree yeah that's the only other negative um yeah otherwise i really i really enjoyed uh reading through this um you know, I haven't read too many Call of Cthulhu scenarios, so I'm newer to this than you guys. I'm mostly Delta Green, right? And D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. um, but this one, um, Gateways to Terror, because it was for newer keepers, I had issues with, but I understood where, you know, the reasons for a lot of those things. Um, this one definitely seems more fleshed out, and I really appreciated that with this one. Yeah, I really enjoyed this scenario quite a bit, and I think that Depending on how your group likes to go about these types of scenarios, I think it can be a really slam dunk, home run, touchdown, whatever sports term you want to use for it. But yeah, I think overall this is a really good uh, basis for a scenario that you could really easily interject into a campaign and like really get some awesome reactions out of your players when they go, what? What do you mean Mr. Corbett worshipped Yogg-Sothoth? I thought he was just that nice guy that gave us tomatoes every week. <laughs> yeah, really fun. I I, I like the uh, the character for sure. <laughs> cool. Um, any other final thoughts, guys? Um, no, I don't think so. I think the the one the other I guess one of the other things that struck me is that the hospital intern, I believe he commits suicide at some point. Mm -hmm. He does, uh, yeah. Like right after the first interview, which seems a little I think it's again you're you're throwing up another barrier where it's just like the locking information behind like just removing the NPC entirely seems a little a little rash. Mm -hmm. Like you're you're taking away options from the from the investigators. Where I mean, if you were to say hospitalize him or something like that, and maybe the investigators decide to go back, and um, maybe they're stuck for a clue or something, and they realize, oh well, maybe this guy that we talked to briefly before knows something else, and decides to go back. And the way the scenario is written, that's not an option. And I think as a as a keeper, I like having all options on the table. Yeah, but uh, I, that's it's some good points, especially with with some things having the possibility of getting the person or getting the investigator stuck. Then it would be nice to have that as a backup for them to go to and and kind of uh, fill in the gaps of missing information regarding their investigation. For sure. But there are a lot of opportunities for the handler to, or keeper, my goodness, I'm doing a two-vase. There are, there are a lot of opportunities for the keeper to introduce or interject those clues into other areas, or just make them 
not necessary at all. So, again, I think it's kind of dependent on how your group likes to play investigative games. If they're very gung-ho, then I think you kind of have to play on the more House of Horrors aspects of Mr. Corbett. If they like the investigative portion of the game, then you can kind of play on the the tailing of a of your next door neighbor and I'm not crazy, he's crazy. Well, I'm going to prove it to you. Just watch and you can kind of really play on those sorts of dynamics. That can be fun. So I think it just really depends on how your group likes to play and the keeper best tailoring the scenario to the to that experience. Yeah. And and the fact that you have those options with this scenario speak to its versatility. So I do like that too. Mhm. Yeah. That so you have I think overall I would really recommend this scenario especially for for keepers that are looking for something to interject into their campaigns that doesn't have to affect the whole campaign at large but it can if they want it to. Yeah. Yeah, I would recommend this too. Agreed. Yeah. And uh this is part of that book Mansions of Madness which has a few other stories, and I think we're going to end up reviewing all of them, right, Nate? I think that's the plan, yeah. So be sure to stay tuned on our YouTube channel, or if you're listening this in audio form, to hit the follow or subscribe button on your various podcast media form. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to leave a comment down below and let us know what you guys think about this scenario, if you've run it, or if you have any suggestions for other keepers looking to run it. But... That's been our episode, or that's been the episode of Mr. Corbett. Uh, I'm Nate, lost in time and space, and I was joined with today. I'm Man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. And I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle End. And we are the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast, and we will catch you all in our next review. Mr. Corbett. Corbett.